We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 368. Our guest today is an accomplished vet and practice owner who has a focus on preventative and sports medicine, rehab, as well as chiropractic care and Chinese medicine. She is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to keeping the modern equine athlete feeling and performing its best and has been an integral part of many top rider and trainers programs. I love how she combines all areas of medicine to really get a holistic view on horses' health and performance. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Dr. Paige Billick. Hi, Paige. Hey, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming on. I'd love to hear how you first got started in the horse world. Of course. Yeah. I, you know, I was one of the little girls that was obsessed with horses. Um, I like my parents didn't have horses and kind of the way that they knew to introduce me to horses was to go trail riding in Wisconsin, like at a, like a commercial trail riding place. So I went trail riding with my dad, like every weekend for two years. And they, I think figured out that I was going to stick with horses. So got a first horse that was a Tennessee walking trail horse and um, then got a little older, got a thoroughbred off the racetrack. And she was actually what kind of started my interest in acupuncture and chiropractic and rehab and sports medicine. Um, She was a little bit of a loose cannon sometimes. And um, at one point she reared up, hit her head on the ceiling and flipped over backwards. You know, it could have gone a whole lot worse, but she had a saddle on at that point. And, you know, she wasn't totally lame afterwards, but she wasn't totally right. So that was my first interaction with a veterinarian that was also an acupuncturist and a chiropractor. Um, And I was, you know, probably in middle school at that point and watched that person come out and work on her and saw the changes in her body and saw how much the the practitioner enjoyed it and so how much the horse enjoyed it. And kind of, it was at that point that I knew that I wanted to be a veterinarian and I wanted to specialize in rehab and sports medicine and chiropractic and acupuncture and, you know, keeping the horses feeling their best. Yeah. And now you've been a part of veterinary medicine for a long time and, you know, definitely have collected a ton of knowledge on being a kind of more of a holistic approach to to vet medicine for horses. So what how would you describe or define holistic medicine? So for me it's kind of an all-encompassed approach. You know, I think I think going too far in one direction in either direction is, you know, not not the best option for the horse. Found to be really successful is taking that holistic approach as far as integrating conventional things um, everything like we hear about doing fitness exam and treating with joint injections or mesotherapy or shockwave or stem cell or any of those things along with using kind of a more eastern look at maybe how to approach a case that's not making sense totally and 
using diagnostic acupuncture scans to look for areas of pain or compensation that we maybe would miss in a conventional exam or, um, you know, thinking of compensation patterns in, in the horse's spine or nervous system um, to kind of help us get a full picture of what's going on with that horse. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing sports medicine stuff every day. So, you know, we kind of normally think, okay, this horse is lame. Um, you know, maybe it's limping somewhere. Where's that coming from? But I like to take it another step further, you know, treat that area, address it, um, and then think about one, why it happened in the first place. And two, you know, where did the horse develop a compensation pattern in the rest of its body because of that lameness? And then address that too. One, to prevent the lameness from happening again. And two, to get the horse back to work and comfortable and, you know, successful as quickly as we can. What have been some of the, I guess, biases that you've heard of people having towards alternative medicine? So I think I'm a little bit lucky with my clientele and a little bit lucky at the time that I started coming into this. Mm -hmm. You know, I think practitioners not very much older than me probably experienced a whole lot of bias. Um, And I think the industry has become quite more accepting, I would say, even over the last 10 years of acupuncture and chiropractic and more holistic therapies. You know, every now and then I'll have somebody say like, well, how are you moving a horse's bones? Like you're a little thing and that horse is big or, oh, you know, you're just going to yeah, stick needles in that horse. But honestly, I, I don't feel a lot of bias anymore. I, I find that the people that are biased maybe haven't been exposed. And if you, you know, can speak with them kind of on a level coming from a scientific standpoint too, then you can work through that bias. Um, you know, I, I think some people think it's kind of touchy feely or mm-hmm. a little bit like, you know, oh, it's magic. And I, I think even now, if you talk to those people and really go through kind of the science and walk through step by step with the process that you're doing, you can gain acceptance pretty easily, mm-hmm. I would say. Definitely. And I think you also see um, there's more of that acceptance, too, because you really see, I mean, if you look at the top of the sport, um, you know, for sport horses, like they're all getting acupuncture and they're all getting, you know, a a combination of, um, of therapies, including alternative medicine. And so I think that that has maybe opened the eyes up to, um, the rest of the industry that like, okay, these, these top horses are getting it and it's helping them, um, be happier and perform better and feel better. So I think there's a lot there too. Yeah, I would agree. Definitely. What form of alternative medicine do you find to be the most underrated? Hmm. That's a tough one. Like, and probably I won't answer this well, but I would say that, you know, my approach is if you, if you use, you know, kind of a broad combination of both acupuncture and medical manipulation, um, in addition to a little bit of verbal therapy and a little bit of food therapy, Mm -hmm. um, that's when I think you get the best results. So, you know, for me, I, I honestly can't choose one modality and I almost never just do one modality on a horse. Right. So not a great answer. Yeah, I know, but I think that makes sense. Kind of just the, the, 
combination that it needs to kind of come from multiple angles um, instead of all coming all from like one side or one thing that makes sense yeah that's been my experience I mean I I know some practitioners that just do medical manipulation or just do acupuncture and Mm -hmm. they great results but I find that really in my hands kind of can binding everything is really where you're addressing you know both both the nervous system plus the the spine plus the muscles like you're getting an all-encompassed approach that really lends itself to, you know, prolonged soundness and um, performance. Mm-hmm. I think something that's cool that I heard about you, you're also um, really passionate about the work riders can do before their horses need medical intervention, focusing on what you call prehab. Um, for those listening who might not be familiar with the term, what is prehab? So prehab is a word that I first heard um, when I was taking an an actual rehabilitation certification. And, you know, I think for for years we were thinking as rehab kind of only after an injury, what can we do? And we've started to kind of move in the direction as an industry where we're saying, okay, what can we do before that horse gets injured? What can we do to prevent injury? Mm -hmm. Um, And you can't prevent every injury. Obviously, freak things happen all the time. Um, but the idea of prehab is thinking, you know, what conditioning strategies, what, you know, what can we do to help this horse stay sound and prevent injury? So when I say that, I mean, we are doing soundness exams on these horses. You know, we we aren't seeing a true lameness. And the trainers or owners or riders have no issues with the horses, but we're doing an exam every six months or so to horses for any subtle illnesses. That's, that's part of it. The other part is to say, okay, is this horse um, developing compensation patterns somewhere uh, that would lend to a future right on one lead than the other is that'll, do you notice that the horse is parking out with, you know, the back legs further behind than you would expect is one front leg pointing forward. Um, does the horse have difficulty picking up a certain, a certain leg to pick out the feet? Uh, like kind of those subtle things you can start looking at and saying, this is an indication that my horse isn't, you know, isn't totally symmetrical, isn't totally even. And then it's probably, again, a further indication that there's maybe maybe some underlying area of tension or muscle weakness or atrophy that that's causing this. And then when we start kind of looking into those little details, that's where if we can help that horse kind of get rid of those strange compensation patterns or the weird, the weird balance that it's developed or the propensity for a certain lead, then we can help the horse be more balanced, be more symmetrical, carry, you know, carry the weight of the rider better in a, in a nice frame or not be putting one more pressure on one leg or, you know, pushing harder at one leg at takeoff at the jump. If we can, if we can help that horse move balanced and symmetrical and even, then, then we have the opportunity to prevent an injury before it happens. For obviously conditioning is, is a big part of rehab and something that, you know, riders and trainers and horse owners 
you know, definitely should consider um, when they are working on keeping, getting their horse or helping with any imbalances or weaknesses for, for someone working on conditioning um, that doesn't really know um, or hasn't really done a lot specifically when it comes to working on weaknesses or imbalances, where's a good place to start? Obviously talking to a professional, but how can riders check in on areas of weakness or imbalance and, you know, come up with a conditioning plan to work on those problem areas? So I think, um, you know, for me, and probably it's a biased point of view, but I would say if, you know, if people have a veterinarian that they can work with that can kind of help them see where the areas of imbalance are and make a plan to help address that, that, that to me is kind of the best option. You know, there's some trainers that are very good at this too. And there's some owners that are really in tune. I would say like an indication that there's areas of imbalance would be kind of some of the examples that I gave, like, you know, if the horse is always wanting to pick up the left lead going both ways, you have an imbalance somewhere. Um, you know, obviously these things can be training issues too, but I find that normally stuff like that or tilting the nose one way or, you know, not being willing to pick up a certain foot or, you know, doing a much easier, you know, lateral movement to the right than the left. Like those are the areas that I find that owners most often are owners and trainers are the ones that are picking up on and coming to me and saying, Hey, there's something here and, you know, it doesn't feel like a training issue, but this horse will always want to pick up the left lead or swaps behind or, you know, pins their ears every time I ask them to do a rollback going to the right or something like it's, it's that, that I find that, you know, the boots on the ground are really easily able to identify Mm -hmm. and then from there, it's a little bit more of a hunting expedition to say, where is this coming from? Um, and, and that's really where I think people benefit from working with a veterinarian that that's looking for these things and seeing these things and can say, okay, um, you know, your horse was really restricted at C7, the, the base of the neck. Um, and because of that, there was a soreness and he developed a pattern where he didn't want to put pressure on that cantering. So he cantered on the other lead. Um, so then it would be kind of addressing that, that spinal restriction and then doing a series of stretching exercises to help relax the area. And then some strengthening exercises, both on the ground and under saddle that would help kind of change that, and balance, help strengthen the areas that were weak and then kind of put the horse back on the right track. I feel like a big piece of conditioning is also rest and recovery. In in your opinion, how many days a week should owners and riders be giving their horses a day off in order to stay fit or maybe a lighter day um, to just be fit and then also happy and sound? So I think it really depends on the discipline um, and that horse's level of work. Um, You know, if you have a horse that you're, you know, just just bringing in for the season, you know, and I work on a lot of polo horses and we have some scenarios where 
um, you know, the horses are maybe out for three or six months, um, kind of on vacation, and we're bringing those horses back into a conditioning program. Those guys kind of start out working every day, but the work is literally just a walk. So, and then from there, you know, they maybe walk for an hour once or twice a day um, for start adding in two minutes of trot over the course and then once they're at more of a you know of a peak condition then that's when they start getting to take you know take a day off or have a day just in the pasture where they're walking around so i would say you know that's what a horse needs or how much recovery time depends on you know days how much is the horse working? How competitive? How fit is it? What's it eating? Like, I think those things all go into giving that answer. But I agree. If if you get, you know, the horse to a point where you're working and pushing and conditioning every day, um, you know, after an event or um, after some particularly hard days, of it, essentially you'll end up putting the horse in a negative energy balance. And instead of building muscle and building endurance, which is obviously, you know, kind of your points in a conditioning program, you go backwards and actually end up with a horse that's a little bit too fatigued and could be more likely to injure. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know about you, but whether it is nail inspiration, different style, home decor, or equestrian lifestyle, horse girl energy, I always get my inspiration from Pinterest. And I don't know if you knew this, but Pinterest is actually not a social media platform, but a search engine. It took me a while to really utilize Pinterest and understand the importance of it for business. My friend Kayla White over at Studio 31 just recently launched the Pin Studio, which is a one-of-a-kind service within the equine community that helps grow your business and generate more leads and sales than all of your social media platforms combined through the search engine of Pinterest. It's also perfect timing because it is right in time for the holidays, which is a great opportunity to show up um, for holiday sales and really be everywhere. She offers consulting or full management through Pinterest. And if you are interested in making more of a robust marketing plan for this holiday season, you should check her out. It is the Pin Studio over at Studio 31 Gallery. That's studio, the number 31, gallery.com for more information. Right now, you can also book a free consultation call to really get an overview about what Kayla offers and what she can do for your business through Pinterest. So again, that's studio31gallery.com. She has been working on my Pinterest account and I am so excited to share the progress. It has already been amazing and so eye-opening. All right, let's get back to the episode. Tell me a little bit about your work with polo horses, because um, I know that's also part of your program. Um, tell me about the importance of their conditioning on their performance. So, yeah, I actually started working with polo horses probably five years ago, just, cool. just fell into it and started to kind of see what high level of athletes these horses are. Most of the horses that I'm working on are 
you know, owned by professional players, mostly from Argentina, playing at, you know, a really high competitive level. And I was amazed to see kind of the the thought that goes into their conditioning programs and to maintain their soundness. So essentially where where it is now, I I see these horses every day. So I, I work at a polo farm for in addition to my normal clientele, but the horses are here in Chicago for about six months. Um, and the farm has anywhere from 80 to this year we had 200 polo horses. Wow. And my role there is to, to check the horses and to, you know, help make sure the diet's right and the conditioning program's right. And obviously when injuries happen to help rehab them from the injuries. So the polo horses, like I mentioned, you know, maybe have some time off before every season and then kind of start with a slow conditioning program that's centered on um, walking initially. And for people that aren't familiar with polo, um, the polo horses go on something called a set every day. So normally the groom or the rider is riding one horse and ponying two or three on either side um, to exercise, you know, five to six horses at a time because most most players have, you know, 10 or 12 horses in mm-hmm. any given season. So they start out, you know, bringing the horses in from pasture and then doing, you know, like I said, or a week of 50 minutes or 60 minutes of walking twice a day. And as the horses kind of get their fitness up, then they add in more time trotting. So probably at the peak of the season, some of these horses will be trotting 15 to 20 minutes, one to two times a day, in addition to their they're walking. Um, and so that's kind of how they develop their fitness. And what, what I do there is essentially watch the horses as they're going and notice any, any lameness, any imbalances. And then if we need to ultrasound or x-ray or whatever, we do it from there. Um, but the really interesting thing about the polo horses that I really had spent kind of a lot of time racking my brain about why is, you know, out of hundreds of horses, we hardly see any back issues. Um, you know, very rarely will I see a horse that's sore in palpation or not developing top line or seems like it's, um, you know, sensitive when the rider sits down or, um, you know, reluctant to move forward or kicking or rearing. Any of those things that we normally would see indicating back issues that, you know, we do see routinely enough in a lot of performance horses, I really was very rarely seeing in the polo horses, you know, I would say, out of 100, maybe this year, we had two that had mild clinical signs of back issues. Wow. And compared to other disciplines, those numbers are really low. And the other thing that's interesting is, you know, it's, it, it's not common that there would be a custom horse made for each or custom saddle made for each horse. Um, you know, worst I'm thinking about my jumpers or my dressage horses, those guys tend to have, you know, custom fitted saddles Mm. and we're still seeing in my experience, more back issues, but I don't think it's that the polo horses have, you know, statistically less incidences of kissing spine or something like that. I, I think that the, the reason why these, these guys are staying more comfortable through their backs is truly that conditioning program that's really centered on walking and walking with their head down, swinging, you know, they're walking Mm -hmm. at a very natural gait with, you know, they're not 
having to carry weight of a rider very often, you know, really, you know, when they're playing or when they're practicing or when they're, you know, doing some short work, yes, but most of their conditioning is centered without a rider and with their head low and swinging and like moving in their most natural gait. So that allows them to develop essentially the right balance and postural muscles to support the the spine, to support the spinal cord. And essentially then, you know, even with a saddle that maybe isn't fitting as perfect as our jumper or dressage for saddles, and sometimes with a rider that's, you know, hanging off of one side or bumping into other mm-hmm. polo ponies, they're they're staying more comfortable because they have that that good base of support really just coming from their conditioning program. What are your thoughts on treadmill use? So that's a tough one. Treadmills for rehab, I don't prefer. And the reason that I say that is, you know, if you have a horse with an injury, it has developed a compensatory pattern kind of around protecting that injury. And as I'm rehabbing the horse, I want to help it restore to the most natural gait that it can. And with with the treadmill, with the ground moving underneath the horse, you don't actually have a completely natural gait pattern. Um, I've actually run like a couple different lameness locator analyses and a hoof placement sensor on horses on treadmill versus horses on the ground and find that the gait pattern itself is really different because of the ground moving under the horse. Um, so for rehab, I don't prefer it for conditioning or for exercise, you know, probably in my perfect world, I would say, yes, if somebody could, you know, get on and walk that horse for that 40 minutes or pony that horse for the 40 minutes instead, that, that probably would be my preference. But, you know, in a lot of competition stables, there just isn't the time or the manpower for that. And I think on a horse that doesn't have any pre-existing issues, the treadmill is a totally fine modality to help the horse maintain its fitness. And, you know, it is a way that they can walk and we can, you know, kind of keep them in a neutral head position. Like there's some, some really great benefits to it for a sound horse, I would say. Now, a water treadmill is kind of a whole different story. That I think really does have a a nice place when appropriately used in a rehab program because you know you can change the weight distribution and the buoyancy and and that stuff and and that I think really is is a great tool when you're rehabbing a horse but not the over you know not the dry treadmill. What are some things that horse owners can do to complement the work that their vets do? What are things that they can be doing in between visits to make your job easier? So I would say, you know, anything that's good for the horse is good for the vet. And one one thing that I think that we kind of overlook is the importance of walking. Um, so for me, if if owners or riders or trainers had the time to get on and walk for 10 minutes before mm-hmm. pushing to the trot or canter, I think that that really is beneficial to the horse. Um, you know, there's some good research out there that shows that that 10 minutes walking warm-up helps bring blood flow to the muscles, helps relax the back, create more elasticity in the tendons and ligaments, and helps um, essentially decrease the chance for injury in, in those areas. I also find that kind of the more, um, you know, it's it's the owners on the track. You know, he, he always was a little bit stiffer to the right, and now he's stiffer to the left. Or, 
you know, he started carrying his tail to the left yesterday, Mm -hmm. or now he's leaning on the water buckets and he never did like kind of noticing those things. And even if they seem like funny things or little nuances, like it helps us know when there's, you know, know that there's a change. Um, So I'd say that's really helpful. I think stretching the horses is great if if people have time to do that. The one thing that I would say is, you know, as a kid, I was always taught to stretch, you know, if you're doing like a stretching the front legs forward and to, you know, put the saddle on, put the girth on and stretch the front legs and hold them for 60 seconds or 30 seconds or whatever before your ride. Actually doing those long stretches after the ride is much more beneficial. You know, if you need to stretch the horse's leg forward to make sure the girth isn't pitching totally fine, but if you're trying to do a stretch for the sake of doing a stretch, it's actually safer and more effective to do that after the ride because one, you have more blood flow to the muscles and you get more out of the stretch. And two, when you're doing those long stretches, you're actually resetting the muscle stretch receptors to a longer length. And essentially, I'm just like, you know, if I tried to touch my toes right now, I couldn't. But if I tried a second time, I'd be able to. That's the mm-hmm. same thing that we're doing to the horses. And kind of stretching that muscle and resetting it to a longer length and then going right into a vigorous exercise actually makes the horse more likely to injure themselves because they don't feel subtle changes in the ground quite as quickly and, you know, could be more at risk of like a tendon or ligament injury because of it. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, I feel like such a good reminder. What would you say is something that you've become passionate about in the industry that you feel people either don't talk a lot about or don't know enough about? So, you know, it's a tough question because I'd say I have a lot that I'm really passionate about in the industry. But one thing that I feel like I've been coming across kind of a lot recently is maybe the way that we've changed our mindset on rehabilitation over the last few years. So years ago, I would say a tendon ligament injury, for example, most most people would say, okay, this horse needs to be on stall rest, the ultrasound, um, you know, maybe maybe shockwave or stem cell or whatever, you know, still still treat the lesion, but keep the horse mostly on stall rest or with a small amount of hand walking. And, you know, kind of the more research we do, that that idea has changed. So I would say in most of my tendon or ligament injuries now, we may be doing a very small period of stall rest, day one or small paddock turnout, um, because actually we found that keeping the horse in the stall for that prolonged period of time is detrimental to their body, to their to their bones, to their joints, to their muscle conditioning, you know, mm-hmm. for the for the whole horse. And if you, you know, have a horse that has a tendon injury and you heal it essentially only in the standing position, then those fibers aren't, aren't used to the stretch and the strain that's placed on them, you know, at the other gates, even the walk. And essentially all of our tendons and ligaments and even bones kind of heal based on the stress and strain that's placed on them. So to get the most functional healing, we really need to keep the horse moving. And again, I'm not saying that we don't have to do careful exercise, but really 
we have to we have to keep moving we have to keep conditioning we have to keep thinking about the whole horse in these rehab plans instead of saying okay you know we're just looking at the tendon and yep that tendon needs to stay in the stall for a month you know or three mm-hmm. months or whatever we're looking at a horse right um and so i would say that's something that you know i'm really passionate about and you know a lot of people are talking about it but i think that there's still some misconceptions there with the way that that's changed so much in the last few years. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think the way that you explained it, especially from going from maybe that recovery process in a standing position versus then when you start incorporating more work, that that recovery probably hasn't necessarily extended to the movement, you know, of possibly walk, but then especially even any more than that. So I, yeah, I think I've never heard it explained that way, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair and to be clear, there are some times that I would say, okay, this horse truly does need stall rest. There's broken bones. There's, there's exceptions to every rule for sure. But I would say far and away, the, you know, the idea used to be stall rest and far and away. Now the idea is functional exercise and movement and, you know, restricted exercise to, to bring that horse back in the most functional way possible to prevent, to heal the right way and prevent mm-hmm. re-injury. Awesome. Well, Paige, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your knowledge. I think what you do is so cool and so needed in the industry. So thank you so much for taking the time and I wish you all the best. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.